Uh, so I, listen, I'm Steve Stewart. I, I teach at Georgia Southern, and I'm I'm not on staff here or anything. I sit in the in the seats where you sit every week. Um, but I was asked to uh, summarize the last several weeks of of the series we're in about following Jesus. I some of you probably know my family more than more than me. I'm I'm uh, Malini's husband of 26 years. I am Matt and Katie's dad. And probably more of you know them than know, than know me. Um, they are scared to death that I'm going to embarrass them. Uh, I've been reading the Urban Dictionary for the last couple of weeks to come up with some cool words to say. Um, so um, I hope you're woke for Jesus this morning. Um, I, I, don't, I hope you're not too shook by me being here, uh, up here. I'm about, to, I'm about to spit some dope word at you uh, about the Lord. I, <laughs> I, I just wrote that between services, and I really can't believe I did it, uh, to be honest with you. So uh, we have to change churches now. I, I want you to repeat a phrase after. Uh, well, let, let's see if we can say it together. Let's not repeat it. Let's see if we can say it together. It's going to be on the screen, uh, on these screens. I was told there would be a screen here, and they changed everything this week. Um, they took the pastor away, and they took the screen away, and they have all new technology and everything. So let's say this together. Will you say it together with me? Ready? Go. God is at work all around me, and he invites me to play a part in it. Very, very good. Much, much, much better than the 9 o'clock service. All right, listen, and he, you know, when he says that, he means that. Uh, that's a hard, those, that's a hard, that's a hard crowd to sell, nine o'clock. I don't know if you guys are like me uh, or not, if you've ever experienced this, but we, uh, we have these unusable towels in my house, and I didn't really know that. I, I didn't really realize that they were unusable towels. Um, they're apparently... They are our nice towels. Uh, they have been termed decorative towels, unusable towels. Um, how do I find this out? Well, like every other red-blooded man, I wash my hands and my face after I work on the car, and I use the towels that, you know, um, interestingly, I use the ones that are close to the sink. And that... That seemed reasonable to me for a good while uh, to use those. I don't know why I made the assumption that that was a good thing to do, but it seemed like, you know, that was fair. It was normal. Then one day, my wife, she asked me the question, have you been using the good towels? And, and, and at that moment, I was thrust into an ethical dilemma. This moral system of good and bad towels, and uh, it was then that I learned that my that my wife is forensically trained, and um, asked me a question for which she already knew the answer. I assume from DNA testing of the good towels, and and so I said, I just I use towels. I use the towel. I use the towel. I wasn't previously aware of this rating. Uh, to me. The towels are either near where I'm wet or not near where I'm wet or someone else's. And that, that's worked for me for a good long while. 
I find it kind of simple. And yet I was finding out my rating system was deeply flawed. There are good towels, unusable towels. And then there are towels for general drying use. Uh, and I don't, I, this still, I, I'm still not sure. The towels uh, that I use now, that I'm allowed to use without um, a good bit of problem, are a long ways off. They're over there on the wall behind me. So like a three-year-old at his first swim lesson, after I wash my face, I basically spit and doggy paddle over to where the drying towels are that are fit for my usage, and I, and I dry myself off. This is why I don't like parties. I don't like going to parties because if I go to wash up, I don't know what to do afterwards. There's the, I, these are probably the good ones. It's where our good ones are. And that one over there looks like they used it before I got here, so I'm not using that one. So I just walk out with my hands dripping. And that's invariably when somebody walks up and shakes my hand. And they're all dripping wet. And I go, hey, man, I just, I washed my hands. And he was like, good towels. And I was like, I didn't know. And I just walk out. I'm like, yeah, I'm with you. So I don't know. That's the way it works. Reminds me of this, uh, <laughs> uh, my name is, is Stephen Anthony Stewart. And when I was born, my parents had named me Anthony Stephen Stewart. And my, my sister, who was 10, said to them, you can't name him that. You can't name Anthony Stephen Stewart. And they were like, well, why? And they said, because, you know, his initials. you know, would be what they would be. And, and so they named me Stephen Anthony Stewart. And the other day I was thinking about this, and I was like, wait a minute. You know, I kind of wish they'd gone through with it and, and named me Anthony Stephen Stewart because, listen to this, I would have all my towels embroidered. And then I would throw a party. <laughs> and I want you to think about this. You know, people would go in to wash up. And then they would look around. And they would all look like they were for the same purpose. <laughs> now, I realize that could bother people. But, like, the one conclusion they would come to is, like, this guy's got money. <laughs> like, this is a man of great comfort right here, you know? I mean, these people, they, this is their, this is what they use. This is, this is, they have moved on up. That's what I'm thinking. Didn't happen. Didn't happen. This is all, listen, this is all going somewhere. Don't, don't be a runner. Don't go. Don't go. This is all going somewhere. You got to trust me. You don't know me. Just trust me. My job today is to summarize this series we've been, on, been in on, on the fullness of Christ. And we've been there for four weeks, so I'd like to do kind of a quick flyover. If you were here last week, or if you've been here in any of the last several weeks, um, last week Brandon reminded us that he's been beginning every message with the same series of slides, okay? And so I intend to do the same, but um, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you some insights from my angle, having been back there for a while, okay? 
And so uh, let's see where, where we can get with this. Uh, the first thing that we learned is that we, uh, God is doing something in us, right? God is doing something in us. And so we've been reading this of Ephesians 2.22 verse. And so let's have that on the screen. And would you read it with me? Here we go. In him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So he's been beginning every week with that. The Bible from beginning to end informs us, absolutely informs us unequivocally that we have a purpose, right? We're not just existing to drift around. We have a purpose. No matter where you work, no matter what you do, no matter your gender or your race or your station in life, God has given you a purpose, right? And, and he invites you to join him in it. And that's to reconcile the world to him. Uh, this is the purpose slide that we've had up. I don't know, was it just up? Let, let's see. Uh, this is the purpose slide we've had up. We have one purpose, and that is to fill and renew the earth with people reconciled to God through Jesus. I don't think anybody in here has a problem with that, but here's what's interesting is this is pretty similar to this phrase. Let, let's say this phrase together. Is it on the next slide? Ready? Here we go. Ready? God is at work all around me, and he invites me to play a part in it, right? God's at work all around us every day. Whether we acknowledge it or not, whether we know it or not, whether we roll out of bed on the right foot or the left foot or not, God is at work all around us, and he invites us to play a part in it. So to that end, we've got a couple of goals, Brandon's been talking to us about these two goals that we have. And one of them, the first goal that he's been talking about, is to attain maturity as a church, right? To, as a church, as Connection Church, to grow in maturity in Jesus. I don't think anybody has a problem with that. But we can't do that without the second goal. And the second goal is to make sure that we avoid this model of Christianity that um, happens to probably every church at some point, where there are a few people, let's see that slide, where there are a few people that do all the, well, they're the professional Christians. They're the paid professional Christians that do all the Christianing. While the rest of us amateur Christians, you know, wait for them to tell us, you know, well, here's a ministry opportunity, so, you know, some of us will go over there. Here's an opportunity for you to meet with some groups. Some of us will go over there uh, as though we don't know how to get to, together with people we like and talk about Jesus. And here's a place for you to give some money to missionaries that are going to go do something. And so we'll do that. And we just, you know, we kind of wait for them to program everything sort of for us. And we want to avoid that. So th this is where I, I, I think that I can talk from the back row, and that is to say this. I think one of the questions that went through my mind for, for so many weeks was, you know, why are we pounding this nail? Why, why is this, I mean, this has been a while, right? You know, so why are we doing this? Why are we talking about this? And, and, I, and I think I know the answer. So... 
um, as it so happens that um, many churches, when they're first starting, you know, they're small. 10 people, 20 people, 30 people. And they're meeting together in a place that's small. And they can, and they're near each other, right? You're kind of close. You're maybe sitting in a circle and you're, you see each other, right? And it's organic. And it gets a little bigger and you lease out a blue house that holds, I don't know, 100-ish. So, and then you get a little bigger. And you get a little bigger. And eventually you're in a school auditorium. It's a familiar place. It's a place where you already go and you're dropping kids off in line or you're going to a football game on Friday night, Thursday night. And now on Sunday morning, you're there in that same place where you do life the rest of the week. And now you're intersecting with Jesus. And do you see how all that kind of you know, it kind of all meshes together, and, and, and Christians are alive, and they're talking about their church. They're talking about Jesus. They're talking about what God's doing in their life, and there's something living and breathing. It's an organism, right? And it, and it requires all hands on deck, so kind of everybody has a purpose, right? And, and so everybody's grabbing chairs, or everybody's setting up a children's area. Everybody's teaching something, or everybody's praying with somebody. It's just all hands on deck. And then the church builds a building. And the called out ones become the turned in ones. And we become spectators in seats, Christians in cushions. And the ministry begins to kind of ebb away and Boy, it sure is nice to just see what I'm supposed to know up on a projector. And you see what I'm saying? And it happens to every church, and it's very common, and it sneaks up on you. Not one person intends for it. Not one. Not one. And so the leaders here at Connection Church, they've been aware of this. In fact, I remember six months after Connection Church moved into this building, Brandon said he was scared that could happen here right, that could lose their heart. And so in recent months, the leadership, having prayed hard about it and just feeling the tug of God, said, you know what? I think some cracks have kind of emerged in the foundation here. Some things maybe that we've lost, and rather than not talk about it and not deal with it, rather deal with it face on. And, and so let's put that slide up. You're, you've become accustomed to this slide, right? The four cracks in the foundation, not cracks in Jesus or who Jesus is, but the cracks in our sense of who we are in Jesus. Now, uh, he's been saying these are four cracks, but I have a little different thinking about it. I picture it differently in the back row. I see it as one long crack. And that one long crack is, I, I, because I see it as progressive, and it starts down at this end with, you know, first we kind of lose our sense of mission. Like, you know, that's somebody else's to do. And, and then after a little while, we sort of lose our sense of our place in the body. And, and we talk about going to church instead of being the church, Right? And it's slow, it ebbs in, we don't see it. And after a while, we start seeing people, and we're like, we don't like you, you know? 
We don't like you. I'm going to come to a different service. They're at the other service. I'm going to sit on this side. I don't like them. Uh, and that's and then, and so what happens? See that fullness part? And after a while, we start to lose our sense of who we are as a follower of Jesus. So I see it as kind of one long progressive crack with, that just causes a leak uh, uh, and everything to wash out. And the only way to fix it is to start on the most basic end, right? Vince Lombardi, this is a football. Start on that end and start filling that crack. And so that's what they've done. And it's my job to kind of summarize this second one, okay? The only way that a church with walls can act like a church without walls is, is, listen, is when all the people in it are so full of Jesus that they can't possibly be spectators in seats any longer. They are the hands and the feet of Jesus interacting with others, worshiping together, not watching paid people worship or unpaid people worship for us, right? Praying together, recharging together in order to go back into a world that I swear to you is the most lonely, hurting, confused world it has ever been, right? So I want you to understand something. You, you, you know the story of Noah and the flood? Remember that? Everybody know that story of Noah and the flood, right? And, and at the end, and the waters are receding, the dove and the olive branch. And it's so precious to us over in the children's room, right? That, that olive branch and that dove's mouth and that rainbow, the flannel graph rainbow, that was a promise and it was a contract. It was a promise. God said, I'm never going to do this again. I'm going to save a people unto myself, but I'm never going to do it like this. Never again. But it was a contract. I'm going to do it through the church, and there is no plan B. That's the contract, right? That's the contract. I'm going to do it through the church, and there is no plan B. And the only way the church can do it is in the fullness of Christ. Want to see? Let me show you. Same book where we got that first kind of purpose verse, Ephesians, but we're going to look at a different place, just a few verses before Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, says this. Just look. I'll read it this time. God placed all things under his feet and appointed him, talking about Jesus, to be head over everything for the church. Look, look, we're all good with that part. Yeah, yeah, Jesus is the head of the church. Which is his, what? Body. The, what? Fullness of him who fills everything in every way. There's another verse that says something pretty similar to this just a few chapters later, Ephesians 4, 12 and 13. And it says this, that our purpose is to equip his people for works of service 
so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the, what? Say it loud. Fullness of Christ. You see that? There is not a plan B. In the fullness of Christ, we are the plan. We are the expression of Christ to the world. All right? So, in this series, we've learned a few things. Uh, One of the things we learned is the definition of fullness. And so, Brandon, very first week, Brandon said, hey, here's the definition of fullness. It means to be complete means to be whole, means to be perfect, having all or the totality of something. It comes from a Greek word. The Greek word is pleroma. Can you guys say that just real quick? Pleroma. Pleroma. It comes from that Greek word pleroma. It's not spelled in Greek up here, but trust me, it's a Greek word. All right, so that's what it means, to be full, complete, whole, perfect, having all or the totality of something. Interesting thing about this word I looked into. It has a verb form and it has a noun form. The verb form is this. The noun form means a full cargo hold. A full cargo hold. So imagine it comes from uh, the shipping industry, the ancient shipping industry, and it means when the boat is absolutely full, you've got a full cargo hold, you've got a pleroma. Right? Does that make sense? Pretty cool picturesque thing, right? Right? So when one of these verses says that you should become, we should become full. We should have the full measure of Christ. We should mature into the fullness of Christ. Here's what it's saying. It's saying you should let Jesus fill your cargo hold. Now, we probably have cargo in there. We put in there ourselves. And Brandon, I remember this. Do you guys remember when Brandon had the um, stool? Remember when Brandon sat in a stool for about two or three weeks and it kind of throttled him back a little bit? You guys remember that? Do you remember? I don't know if you remember this. It's burned in my mind. I remember it clearly. I remember him uh, at one point he got out of the seat and he was over here and, man, he was white hot on fire coming at us, right? I mean, he was getting it. And here's what he was saying. I'll paraphrase. He was saying... All that stuff we cling to and fight for and spend our time for that is not the fullness of Christ is the very stuff that's killing us. It's the stuff that's stressing us out. It's the stuff that's giving us anxiety. It's the stuff that's keeping us up at night. It's bringing us no life. It is robbing our life of everything worthwhile. Remember that? If you don't remember it, now now you got it again, right? I remember that very, very well. What was he saying? He was saying, that is empty, worthless cargo. Empty, worthless cargo. And we spend all of our gas driving that cargo around only for it to arrive on the other shore and the cranes come out and it's empty. That's horrible. That's awful. So using that analogy, we learned that fullness is given 
We have all the fullness of Christ when we bend our knee by faith, we bow our heads by faith, and we give our lives to Christ. We say we are worthless on our own. We are trusting God with our heart, our life, our mind, our soul, our strength to forgive us of every sin, just every hint of sinfulness, to receive us into his kingdom. That's what we're trusting him for when we bend our knee and bow our head to him. And at that moment, we receive the fullness of Christ, meaning that when God looks at us, here's what he sees. He sees his. We're good with that? No question. But we learned it's given and it's also grown. And what does that mean? It means that if we want the fullness of Christ, we surrender our cargo hold for Jesus to touch and change and, and, and reload and, and get himself involved with and add to and replace with his character, his traits, his love, his hands, his mouth, right? For the rest of our lives. That's what that means. That's what that means. So in order for that to happen, we've got to give Jesus full control over our cargo hold, right? We learned what fullness is. We learned that it's given and it's grown. And we learned that fullness in Christ are these three things. Fullness of relationship, fullness of identity, and fullness of expression. Okay, you've seen this slide before in the last couple of weeks. So what does this mean? It means that fullness in Christ is about living in the fullness of our relationship with him while we live in relationship with others, right? With regard to our identity, it means that we understand the more full we are of Christ, the more confident we are that we are God's and that he is filling us and that he is using us and that he wants to use us. And that's where it leads to fullness of expression. The more full we become of Christ, the more we are urged to express him, right? So imagine that. This is what that means. It means that God is at work all around me. And he invites me to play a part in it. That's what it means. That's the truth that you and me as Christians in the fullness of Jesus are the expression of Jesus. And there's not a plan B. There's not a plan B. So to that end, he invites us to be full of him. To, to exchange our cargo for the cargo of the character and the concerns and the presence of Jesus Christ. Now, now listen to that. Think about that. Think about a boat with that, the boat of your life full of that cargo. That is exactly what you want. Because that boat of your life, it's going to land on the shores of your neighbor's home. It's going to pull up to the docks of your family, including your in-laws, right? It's going to get unloaded on your coworkers, on your employees, on your bosses, 
right? What's in that boat is what's going to pull up in those ports. And that's what's going to get unloaded. And that's what people are going to see. Why would I ever, why would I ever want to miss the chance of, of letting them see any, even a, an inkling of the fullness of Christ that I could possibly have unloaded from that boat? Why in the world would I want to fill that boat full of the concerns that are so empty and robbing me of my life? Why in the world would I care if my Instagram is full of perfectly bokeh pictures of my vacation with all the street signs and power lines cropped out of it? You know, the stuff that regular life is made out of. Good towels and the such. Why would I ever want that when I could, in turn, have the opportunity to be used by God? So to illustrate what I'm talking about, I want to look at a story in, in the book of Acts, chapter 10. So if you have a Bible, let me invite you to just kind of turn to Acts, chapter 10. And, and while you're turning there, I'll set it up just a little bit for you. The whole Acts, chapter 10, is about this guy named Peter, the Apostle Peter. Has anybody heard of the Apostle Peter? Raise your hands if you're familiar even remotely with this guy, Peter. Peter was an apostle. He was a fisherman. He was crass. He was brash. He was boisterous. He was inextricably immersed in his own opinions and his ways. He had no problem blurting out whatever he was thinking and standing firmly upon it, even if it was denying the Father, denying Jesus, right? Let me tell you something about Jesus. Here's the beautiful thing about Jesus. Do you realize, let me tell you a couple of interesting things. Do you realize that um, Peter, do you realize that Peter, in Matthew chapter 16, you don't have to go there, just listen to me. You write it down and you can check, fact check me later. Matthew chapter 16, there's an exchange between Jesus and Peter. Here's the way it goes. Peter, uh, Jesus is sitting there with a group and he says, hey, uh, listen guys, when you're out there walking around uh, and you're interacting with people, who do you say that I am? This is a relationship and identity question, right? And so he's getting a check on, like, how full is your cargo? And Peter blurts out, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. You guys heard something like that before? Kind of familiar church story. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, blessed are you, Simon. Son of Jonah, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but your Father in heaven. Hey, your cargo hold is full of some Jesus, Peter. So I'm going to rename you Kephas, the rock. And it's on this rock that I'll build my church, and I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, so whatever you bind, I'll bind. Whatever you loose, I'll loose. You and me, Peter, we're like 19 and 20. And four verses later, <laughs> Jesus is telling the crowd what his plans are, and Peter says, uh-uh, we're not going to let that happen. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Peter, 
You just dumped all that cargo in the water and refilled with Peter. You have in mind the things of man, not the things of God. Isn't that incredible? That's this Peter we're talking about in Acts chapter 10. You know the beauty? Do you realize that there's more conversation recorded between Peter and Jesus than Jesus and all the other 11 apostles combined? Now, why? I think it's this. I think it's that there's not a soul in this room, if you're being honest, there's not a person in this room who can't relate to at least one of Peter's downfalls. You know? So let's see how he handles this one. This is a good bit more in his maturity. He's denied Jesus. He's been forgiven. He's met with Jesus on the shore. We're on into the book of Acts. We're in Acts chapter 10, and this Roman soldier, the enemy of enemies to the Jewish people. Roman soldier named Cornelius, high up in the army, he sends a delegation of his servants who are all Gentiles to go find Peter. And we pick this up in Acts chapter 10, verse 9. It's on the screen if you don't have a Bible. Love to give one to you. If you need one, let us know at the next steps table. But here we go. It says, about noon the following day, As they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. And he saw heaven opened, and something like a large sheet was being let down to earth by its four corners. It was filled, it contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. And then the voice said to him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. What was he saying? He was saying, man, I am a good Jewish boy. I do not touch. I don't touch. I don't get, ah, that's against the rules. I'm not doing that. Verse 15, the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure, that God has made clean. This happened three times. Peter always needed stuff to happen three times. And immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. All right, so let's see how far he's come. Verse 17, while Peter was wondering about the meaning of this vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. And they called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was still thinking about this vision, by the way, that were those words, when Peter was wondering about and when Peter was still thinking those words, they mean to wrestle with, to grapple with. It's a word for wrestling, okay? So he's like, he's, he's getting on this thing, right? He's trying to figure it out. What was God saying? Here's what he said. While Peter still thinking, the Spirit said to him, Simon, now I want you to notice something. Get this. There's only one other time this occurred. What did he call him? What the spirit? What did God call him in verse nineteen? What does it say? What's his name in verse nineteen? Simon. What was his name the other times? Peter. You know the other time that happened when Jesus met Peter on the shore after he had denied him three times. He had been crucified, resurrected. He meets Peter for breakfast. 
And three times he says, do you love me, Simon? Simon, do you love me? Simon, do you love me? And then he called him Peter. Don't think that wasn't running through his head. Simon, you're not so sure whose you are. Go with them. So Peter went with him. And when he arrived, essentially what happened was Cornelius opened his home to him, brought Peter into his home, and said, Hey, listen, I know that God's given you a message for us because, you know, I've been praying to God that I could seek and find him. God is at work all around us. And he invites us to be a part. Right? And so Peter shows up. He says, tell us what God's told you to tell us. And listen to what Peter says. He said to them, verse 28, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or even visit a Gentile. But God has shown me. You see that? Underline that if you underline stuff. God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was called, I came without raising any objection. You see that? Man, Peter has figured it out a good bit sooner than he used to. He realized, I'm spilling cargo off the sides here in this sheet vision. And I'm like, I'm saying no to God. Every time God asks, I'm saying no. You know what the definition of sin is? When God tells you something, you say no. That's what sin is. And he's like, I'm, I'm, I saw I was losing cargo fast. I started loading up with cargo of Peter. So you know what? When I heard I needed to come to the home of a Gentile, I came without reservation. God has shown me. I wrestled with it. I grappled with it until I understood this is something God is doing in me. This is about fullness. Peter said, so, so I want you to see this, verses 34 and following. Uh, we'll just, I'll just tell you this. When Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came over all who heard them. And the rest of everything on this screen simply tells us the beginning of the birth of the Gentile church. This is when you and I got it, right? This is, this is the birth of that. So I want to make a few observations from this passage. It's this. This is incredible encouragement to us. This is incredible, an incredible illustration, and it's this. First, I want you to notice that Peter exercised his fullness in Christ, his freedom. Peter exercised his freedom in Christ to, to walk in his relationship with Christ by walking in the presence of Christ. That's when he walked up on the rooftop. Listen, here's the story. He was just going to lunch at this guy Simon's house. They were all named Simon back then, apparently. He's going to Simon's house, and he goes to lunch. And while lunch is being made, he sneaks up to the roof to pray real quick. He's just, it's, it, it's a perfect picture of all those verses in the Bible that say, pray without ceasing, and in all things be thankful and pray, right? And so that's what he did. He's just like, hey, listen, i got a few minutes. I'm going to commune with the Lord. And so, you know what? This is, the front, this, is the, this is the front seat of your truck before you walk into the office. Right? This is sitting in the parking lot, praying before you got to go into the lines in. I mean the classroom. Before you got to go in there. 
This is, you know, this is about taking a few minutes, you know, when you wake up or, or before you go to bed. It's just taking advantage of walking in your relationship with Jesus. That's it. Here's the thing. <laughs> this is the key to having your cargo hold full. If you want your cargo hold full, go meet with the filler. Spend some time with that. We get to, we get to choose that. So look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this to you. I like listening to and watching a lot of things. And many of them have nothing to do with the Lord. Okay? I like John Wick movies. I feel good about it. I like the Equalizer movie. I subscribe to my free seven days uh, subscription to Stars Network so I could watch Equalizer 2 because I hadn't seen it. And now I got to, uh, today's the deadline. I got to cancel that. I'm glad you reminded me of that. Um, so I've watched it three times now. I like country music. That's what's often on in my truck. Um, just talking from my heart for a second. Pretty much all of it is about getting drunk and driving a four-wheeler down a back road or onto a beach. A lot of rednecks with farmer's stands on beaches in these songs. I'm not sure how they all got there. And then, you know, uh, hijinks ensue, and none of them are good. Okay, now listen, don't hear me wrong. I'm not sitting here saying if you're a good Christian and you love the Lord, you're never going to listen to Christ. But what I'm telling you is, what I find for me is that I can load my cargo hold up pretty easily with a bunch of stuff that makes me think no good thing. And the only solution to that is for me to exercise my freedom in Christ to walk in a relationship with Christ, to, to dump that cargo hold a bit and, re, and, and be filled with the fullness of Jesus. And sometimes that means changing my radio channel. Sometimes it means taking, you know, advantage of the evening worship nights we have here, a connection, something a little extra. Sometimes it means picking up the phone and calling somebody and a buddy of mine and saying, hey, you know, God's just working on me in this way. I'm just thinking through, praying through this stuff. What do you think? You know, it's that easy. You know, if you don't know how, who to call, just pray and ask God. Say, God, who should I call? And a name will, you'll get a name. And through the miracle of modern technology, you can press some stuff on a screen and you'll be on the phone with them pretty quick. Or text them. You can text them. You know, and they'll text you back, new phone, who dis? And just whenever you get that, just answer, uh, you're lost. You're lost going, you're going straight to hell. Just tell them that. That's a good conversation starter. <laughs> text your number neighbor today. Hey, I just want to know. No. <laughs> so Peter prayed. And in that prayer, into that trance he had this vision and these animals were lowered down and when these animals were lowered down he, he availed himself of things that the Lord would teach him you know he listened and he wrestled with the heart of God <clears throat> and he let that impact him there's a lot of great lessons to learn there one lesson we need to take away from that whole passage in Acts 10 is if you've bent your knee to Jesus Christ and you've bowed your head to him, you've placed your faith in him and God called you clean, you are clean. 
And if you are among the clean ones, you may never call something God has called clean, unclean, ever. It doesn't matter if you like them. It doesn't matter if you're not fond of them. You can't. I can't. That gets us a little more into next week. So listen, this summarized what we've learned in the last four weeks, the fullness of Christ. It's given fully by faith, but it's also grown up in us when we surrender the cargo holds of our life to Jesus. We let him replace and we let him refill. It's in our relationship, it's in our identity, it's in our expression. It's at work all around us. God is at work all around you, and he invites you to be a part of it. So I encourage you as you walk out these doors to understand you are walking into a mission field. And he's at work out there. So I encourage you to sail that boat of yours full of the cargo of Jesus Christ into that world, into that lane at Walmart, into your in-laws' houses, into your workspaces, into school, and be the expression of Jesus Christ outside these walls. Outside these walls. You are not a decorative Christian. You are not an unusable towel. See, you didn't think. I came all the way around right at the end. You're not a Christian decoration in a seat in a building made of decorative stone listening to pretty people sing great music. We're Connection Church. And Jesus dwells in us. You agree? Not these walls. He didn't die for these walls. He died for us. So we want God to pull us off that towel rack and use us to dry off the tears and the dirt and the pain and the stain and the hopelessness of humankind that God sent his son to save. So let me ask you to bow your head. We're done right on time. You'll beat the charismatics to McAllister's. Easy. Let me ask you to bow your head, and here's all I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask this question uh, with your heads bowed. All eyes shut, all doors locked. No, just kidding. If you're in this room right now, and it's probably been all week, or it may have been weeks that God has been hastening your heartbeat, you have felt it, you have known it. For whatever reason, today is the day it came together. And the urging of your heart right now is to bend your knee and bow your head and for the first time to give your life to Jesus Christ, to surrender the cargo hold of your life to him. Would you do me this real quick favor and please know everyone's looking down or should be. Would you raise and hold your hand up for a moment? Would you do that? Would you raise and hold your hand up where we can see it? Please, a little bit more. Three here that I see, four here that I see. We got some folks. Okay, I'll tell you what to do in a second. Heavenly Father, these 
who raised their hands, maybe others like them, they today have become yours. They are full of the identity of Jesus Christ. When you look at them, you see your son, you see your child, you see yours. And one day, the cargo boat of their life will arrive for eternity on the shores of heaven. And today, Father, we rejoice for that. So I ask for all of us, God, that we would sense your fullness as we leave this place. Amen.